This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Hello and welcome to episode 208 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today I am absolutely delighted to welcome onto the show the absolutely fantastic Matthew Modine. Now, if you don't know who he is, you're kind of crazy. And most of you do because you clicked on the link. It's got Matthew Modine in the title. We have Matthew Modine as our guest. Now, if you don't know, or you do know, and I'll give you a little refresher, he has acted in the films, starred in these films. Full Metal Jacket, Birdie, Vision Quest, Shortcuts, Memphis Bell, Dark Knight Rises, Alter, 47 Meters Down. He starred on TV shows, Weeds, Stranger Things. He's directed the movies, If Dog Rabbit and I Think I Thought. He's also worked with these amazing directors like Robert Altman, Alan Parker, uh, Stanley Kubrick, Jonathan Demme, um, Albert Ferrara, Christopher Nolan. He's been in over a hundred films and he turned down Top Gun. (laughs) Uh, We sit and chat with him all about so many topics, acting work, working with directors. He really dives deep, but mainly we talk about his brand new film, Wrong turn it is the reboot of the wrong turn film and it is fantastic it's really cool it's really cool you like those horror films you're gonna love wrong turn it's a really great reboot it's out now and it's through the fantastic guys from signature entertainment it's written and directed by mike p nelson so check out wrong turn go find it go find it now um links are in the show notes by the way as always on this podcast links always to anything we talk about usually in the show notes uh, if not go to our twitter at filmmakers pod and ask and we'll send you it. Um, On the episode with Matthew Modin, we talk about the importance of working in all areas of film, um, how that can make you a better filmmaker, how being on set is a bit like uh, a magnifying glass. We also talk about working with these big directors he's worked with. We talk a little bit about Stranger Things and his Hollywood career. And also he gives you some amazing advice for actors and working with actors. Ah. Yes, I'm so happy Matthew's come on. This is just a delight. Uh, myself and Lucinda Rhodes-Takra, my co-host for the day, sit and had a brilliant chat with him. Uh, Lucinda, she's a producer of the feature films Robin Hood Rebellion, Repeat, When the Screaming Starts, After a Million Nights of Camelot, Behind the Line, and the recently finished Confession, which stars Colm Meany and Stephen Moyer, and will be out very soon. But actually, Lucinda, on Monday, is about to start principal photography on two feature films simultaneously. Glutton? or just a really productive producer. (laughs) You decide, either way, it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, 
Uh, I am Giles Alderson, if you don't know, I'm a writer, director, producer. I have uh, directed and co-written the feature film The Dare and also World of Darkness documentary and Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot, which Lucinda produced. Um, I also produced A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, which I think all those movies now are on Sky TV in the UK and on various platforms all around the world as well. So if you fancy checking them out and supporting, then do really appreciate that if you do and do let us know what you think it was quite like that so as you know most of you who've listened to this podcast over this time we do do a newsletter every month uh, where we talk about the guests we've had on but what we thought we'd do is do a new newsletter where we talk about what's happening in the industry a kind of curated newsletter so we'll be talking uh, so articles on there will be about covid about the new rules there'll also be articles on there about the latest hollywood releases or the latest indie films or potentially where money could come from or the latest cameras so we thought we'd curate this and put this out every week and see what you guys think if you like it we'll carry on doing it so check out your inboxes if we have your email it's called the wrap-up filmmakers podcast presents the wrap-up uh and if you like it let us know what you want more of we'll also be shouting out some indie films in there as well so if you want your shouted out if you want your um, poster on there let us know and we'll do that for you uh, so look out for that and if we haven't got your email and you'd like to get that every week then get in touch um the filmmakers podcast at gmail.com also every thursday now we're doing clubhouse if you don't know what clubhouse is it is the new social media app which you can only be on if you're invited and you can only use if you have iphone so it's a very special sort of club but we did one on thursday our first one our filmmakers podcast presents making movies and it went really well so we thought we'd do some more so if you've got iphone if you on clubhouse if you're not try and get an invite you might be able to get one from me if you ask nicely and um, come and ask some questions because that's basically what the platform is we're there or myself and a load of our co-hosts sit and chat and you can just get on your phone and ask questions obviously we invite you up there but still you can ask any questions about filmmaking so you fancy that it's every thursday 6 30 gmt time link to all those things like i say are in the show notes next week's guest we have the fantastic jill Gevargazian. She is the director and screenwriter of The Stylist, which is a really cool horror movie. Also, um, guests coming up, we have Jess Hines. Um, she is the actress from Space. You'll know her best from that. But she has written, produced, and directed a movie called The Fight. Myself and Ian Sharp have a brilliant chat with her. Uh, also coming up is Christopher Smith. Now, Christopher Smith, you'll probably know from films like Creep or Severance or Triangle. Well, there's a new film coming out called The Banishing, and we sit down and talk with him. That episode's coming up soon as well. Well, as this Friday, we're going to have a special episode with the director, Josh Smith. Now, Josh directed and wrote and produced a really cool little indie film. It's a Western music-based feature film called Buckshot. And we sit down and have a good chat about that. That's going to be this Friday. What a bumper week for you. Matthew Modi, now Joshua Smith Friday, the wrap-up in the week, plus Clubhouse. Oh, we do spoil you. <laughs> so do get in touch with us if you like on our Twitter at FilmmakersPod or get in touch the filmmakerspodcast at gmail.com. Right, let's get to today's episode with myself, Lucinda, and the fantastic Matthew Modine. Enjoy. Hey! Good morning. I'm sorry. I'm I'm in a compromised position, so you <laughs> have to look at a picture of me in a, uh, being arrested. Oh, amazing. Is that an official arrested picture? No, it's, uh, it's from... From a film, surely. Yes. Because that's not a compromising position being arrested at all, <laughs> <Exactly>. Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> this compromising position, are you allowed to talk about what that is? Is that um, 
Are you uh, getting made up at the moment in a makeup chair? What's happening? That's what's happening. And if I told you, they'd pull my fingernails out. Oh, really? Oh, it's that compromising. Hence why you've got, oh, I see you're on a secret show. You're getting exclusive. Yeah. In a, in a makeup chair, the hair department is laughing at you guys right now because you don't get to... <laughs> You don't get to know what's going on. Which is a real shame, but the hair department are. And hello to the hair department over there. Whereabouts are you? Are you you're in America still at the moment or you're in the UK? Whereabouts are you? I'm in one of the 50 states. <laughs> <laughs> this is Matthew. We've got to have some info. You're killing us here. That's it. I mean, that one in the 50, one in 50 states. Yeah, you've got to guess which one it is. I could be in Hawaii or, you know, as the former president who didn't know, that Puerto Rico was part of the United States. I could actually be in Puerto Rico. Yeah. You could be anywhere. And I love that. Thank you for joining us from the makeup chair in one of the 50 states uh, <laughs> in America where you are right now. Uh, thank you so much. It's honestly really cool to have you on the podcast. Uh, really, really appreciate your time. Massive fans. Massive thank fans. You. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we're going to talk about Wrong Turn. It's a really cool film that is coming out on the 26th of February, which is really exciting. But we're also going to dive into your career as well and talk all about you and help filmmakers and actors and writers because that's what this podcast does we help people uh from our guests who have been on um talk about how they uh, you know can help other filmmakers and listeners get their films made or get into the acting world or work with directors etc etc so just to give you a bit of background i'll do my best <laughs> do your best because you've only worked with some absolutely massive talent over your time you know list them off robert altman alan parker stanley kubrick alan paluka uh pakula uh, jonathan demi uh abel ferrara christopher nolan do you know what i mean <laughs> it's just that's just a few i'm like a whore of directors if that makes sense <laughs> something yeah, like yeah that. it does yeah yeah that's great i hope that's nothing wrong with wanting to work with really talented filmmakers i think it's i think it's you know it's really unfair it's unfair <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't do you be know done. what also is amazing not just as an actor you've dipped into every discipline of uh the filmmaking process um yeah. which is absolutely amazing from the camera department to the casting production design you've done everything um which is, which is awesome because Giles and I um, really champion that for our listeners as well to try everything so they understand the whole process. So that's that's something that, you know, has amazed Giles and I. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's important to know, you know, as I said in the hair and makeup department, how important their job is, how many hours they put in, the difficulties that they face, the preparation that they go through, the thoughtfulness that they go through and helping to create the look of a character. Um, you know, we always give credit to costume dramas. You know, we put more attention on those things because there's, they're usually more wig intensive or makeup intensive uh, in the costume departments. But each, each film, doesn't matter if it's a futuristic film or a contemporary film, there's a tremendous amount of thought that goes into, uh, you know, the mental state of the character that the makeup and hair department and costume department are, are trying to create. You know, and, and they do things like subtle things. I, I, I played uh, Charlie in, in the movie Flowers for Algernon. And we mm. were trying to think of because he, he goes from uh, uh, mentally handicapped and then he has an operation and he becomes a, a, a genius. So we thought, how can we physically show that? And so in the early stages when he was mentally handicapped, uh, we made all of Charlie's clothes really big and ill-fitting. And as he got smarter, the same costumes, the same shirts, the same pants 
we just started to make them a little bit smaller so they fit him a little bit better. But it was the same shirt, the same pants, the same type of material and same patterns. But suddenly he looked more put together. And it's a subtle thing, but you know, you wouldn't notice it really watching the film. Uh, but you you notice that he becomes more comfortable in his human flesh in a, in a way through the costume department. You're so right. I think it's absolutely vital that and filmmakers often miss this point when they're doing an independent film or they're just going out and making it with their mates, which I totally endorse, is the colour palette of a film, the costume pattern. It's so important that all that gels together. You know, it's not a, a coincidence that La La Land has all those colour palettes. It's no coincidence that Kubrick has a certain colour in his films. It's all part of the filmmaking setup. And I suppose Lucinda's question and or saying about how the fact you worked in all those departments must have really opened your eyes as an actor to realize, oh, that goes into that. Okay, this is that. That must have been, you know, made you, I suppose, a better actor because of it. Well, it's just important to really early on, I realized that everybody that's on the set, you know, has an important job in order did you ever play with a magnifying glass when you were little and you you bring it to focus with the sunlight and you can make a beam that's able to start a fire so when you arrive the the lens is kind of very high up and as you get closer and closer to to the point where you're walking on the set you're trying to create a beam that can start a fire so that when they say action and cut there's a moment where you've you've made something that's really brilliant and hot and and cool and you know as they say capturing a lightning in a jar um but that's everybody that's involved in the process of making the film you know the grips and electric the the every, everybody's bringing that focus together and so if you can understand that and appreciate that as a young actor that all of those people uh are your scene partners they they stop they stop being you, you know a distraction i, I you know I, I don't know the circumstances i think that we a lot of us heard christian bale uh getting angry at the the lighting department or the director of photography on that that set and you know kind of started screaming i'm sure it was late at night and he was really focusing it sounded like in a very emotional scene so this is not to speak despairingly of christian bale at all um he's an amazing actor uh, but if he would have understood that all that director of photography was doing was trying to make him look good maybe he was using a bounce board to try to get some some sparkle into his eyes you know uh because it was dark it was late at night i don't i don't know but if you always remember that the the boom man, the sound guy that's holding a microphone above your head or putting the microphone on your body, the makeup artist that comes in to, you know, powder your nose just before the scene because it's too much shine or the hair department who's making sure that things match for continuity. All those people are your scene partners and all they're trying to do is make the best possible film, best possible scene as, as possible. It's about having respect for every department as well and, and, and knowing that to give them space to do their job because you're exactly. right, it, it's, it's a collaboration and um, it's, it's so lovely to hear you say that because um, people do forget and, and they say, oh, it's my film, my film or whatever, but it, it's the word our yeah. should be yeah, used I, more. I, I think they should not even be allowed to say a film by and, you know, a film by blah, blah. 
because that's just an insult to the 300, 400 people who, t who helped to make the film happen. That, that person, that individual didn't make the film all by themselves. It's, it's a, and, and you can take a possessive credit like Stanley Kubrick's full metal jacket, uh, but he's not, he's not, he's saying it's his, but he's not saying that he did everything on his own and he'd be the first person to, to give credit to all of those people that worked on the film. And uh, Steven Spielberg doesn't take that credit. Tr Christopher Nolan doesn't. Any of those directors that you mentioned that I worked with, none of them take that kind of possessive film credit. Of, I'm not possessive, but a film by credit. So, yeah, that's really interesting. I've not thought of it totally that way. And I actually really appreciate that. I think that's totally makes sense. Of course it does. Your your passion and love for film, did it start back because your dad uh, owned a drive-in cinema? Is that right? Back in the day? He didn't own it. He was a drive-in theater manager. You could have got away with that, Matthew. You could have got away with that then. We would have believed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that would have put me in a different, in, uh, you know, my childhood in a different financial income bracket. No, he was just a manager. And right. uh, there's seven seven kids in my family. And, wow, wow. you know, they, the, the driving company that he worked for, it was called Ciro, S-E-R-O, amusement company. Um, later on, it changed the name to De Anza. But... Uh, uh, they they provided us with a home and and my my father if, in, in the daytime he was fixing the speakers and the speaker poles and cleaning up the snack bar and in the nighttime he was you know making sure that uh, you know everybody was having a good time watching the watching the movies that's amazing. and did you was that where your love of film came from is that where you thought because you were you there a lot watching movies was it like opening your eyes to movies you might not have seen normally absolutely uh you know and it was seeing people like uh sean connery in darby o'gill and the little people where he's singing and dancing and uh and then you see him in the james bond movies and then you see him in the man who would be king mm -hmm. and you realize that that this guy wasn't just the a person that was james bond but he was had he was multifaceted and you know sean connery never got the kind of credit i believe that he deserved for his acting chops but he was a a, a wonderful actor and i had the pleasure of meeting him a couple times and he was he was just a gentleman you know he was such a nice man and he loved that my father had been a drive-in theater manager and i told him what i just told you about seeing him in all the different movies and and appreciating his acting abilities but it was the making of uh uh, it was a documentary film that I saw about the making of Oliver with Mark Lester. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you're little and you see people in films, you think it's real. And then when I saw the documentary with the children learning the songs and learning the dance moves and that, that it was a profession, that it, this, this was something that, that, uh, that you could do as a living uh, I was, I think, 10 or 11 years old, and I started taking tap dancing lessons in, uh, in Orem, Orem, Utah, O-R-E-M, Utah. And yeah, and then, you know, of course, I moved to New York City when I was 18 and, and um, studied with Stella Adler at the Stella Adler Conservatory of Acting. She was part of the, the group theater. Yeah, which is brilliant. Did you, was there any other 
people who are still in the acting business who you went to Stella Adler's school with? Because obviously it's a very well-known, famous acting school. So many, you know, brilliant actors such as yourself come from there. Were there a few others who are now still doing it in the biz? Yeah, I mean, De Niro was there, uh, I think, probably 15 years before I, I had started. And he was already on, on his way to becoming a legend when, when I was in school. Uh, who else was there? Melanie Griffith had gone there for a little while. Judd Nelson was there just, just before I was, um, you know, from Breakfast Club. That kid, Judd Nelson, he was the, the bad boy. And, and uh, yeah, um, that's kind of it that the people that, that, that I have met over the course of, of my career, I worked with Melanie and I live in New York city and, you know, Robert De Niro is, uh, you know, such an important, uh, I don't know, monolith in, in New York city. You know, he's, he's, he's Robert De Niro, you know, he's, he's Bobby D Bobby D. Bobby D, Bobby baby. D. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fascinating because you you talked about New York there and the theatre world because you did a lot of theatre and you still do and still have. Um, and interestingly, a lot of your first few credits in terms of your film world were based on plays. Um, they came from that. Streamers was one of your first uh, feature films. You know, Baby, It's You before that and Private School. W was that something that you always wanted to do was film like you say you watched sean connery on the silver screen or was theater sort of your driving force at first well that's what i'd done in school was 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 uh plays and then i went to junior college in san diego and i, I didn't like the theater department because it felt like it was i was still in high school P people didn't really take it seriously and everybody that i'd ever met from the east coast having grown up on the west side of the United States in Utah, I'm, I was born in California, um, went to high school in Imperial Beach down by Tijuana, Mexico. Um, the, everybody I ever met from the East Coast, they just seemed to be a lot smarter, you know, that they, they had a greater understanding of, of the world, of world politics, geopolitics, and, and um, just culture culturally they were they were more interesting than the people that i'd met in the west and and it's just something i felt if i went to los angeles to start an acting career i would have just been a dime a dozen just another blonde-haired kid uh you know surfer and and wouldn't wouldn't have taken taken me seriously and maybe i wouldn't have taken the profession as seriously had i gone to los angeles so I moved to New York and it was much more difficult. And um, once I got there, I realized I wanted to go into a profession that I didn't know anything about. Of course, I didn't know about Stella Adler and, and her school. And it was, uh, I got a job working in a restaurant where I was, I worked my way up to being the chef at the restaurant. It was a Nouvelle French, Nouvelle French cuisine restaurant. And um, I'd listened to the waiters talking about Ibsen and Chekhov and, and uh, you know Tennessee Williams and Eugene O'Neill, Arthur Miller, and I realized that I wanted to go into a profession that I didn't know anything about. And and I I asked one of the waiters where could I learn about those 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 writers, and he said you should go to Stella Adler. And I went to see her, and I waited for my interview, and I finally got in the room. And she turned around and looked at me and she said, if you've come here for me to teach you how to be a movie star, you should turn around and leave right now. I don't teach that. If I'm lucky, I'll teach you to be a human being. 
Now, that, that had tremendous importance to me because when we were living in Utah, one of the films that, that transformed my consciousness and changed my life was a movie called Little Big Man, uh, directed by Irving Penn. I think it's Irving Penn that directed it, Little Big Man. It starred Dustin Hoffman and the Native Americans. So I was going to school with a lot of Navajo from the reservations and uh, indigenous people, the Native Americans, called themselves human beings. Chief Dan George, who, who was nominated for an Academy Award, I believe, for his performance. He was a real Indian chief, and he said uh, they, they called themselves human beings. So when, and it was the first time that they pivoted the camera from white settlers being attacked by savage Indians to Native Americans being attacked by savage American cavalry, you know, killing them, killing their ponies, killing their dogs, killing the children. And it was horrifying to, to see the world from a perspective that I had never seen before. You know, the Indians were always the bad guys. And now suddenly Arthur Penn turned that world upside down and we saw the world from their point of view, from their perspective. And I, I was so ashamed of, 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 of what I witnessed, of what the white people had done to the indigenous people, that all I wanted to be was a human being. So when I walked into Stella's class and she said, if I'm lucky, I'll teach you to be a human being, I started crying because I finally found somebody that was going to help me to become a, a human being and, and in, her, in her sense, a much better human being. That's incredible. Wow. So how was it then when you, like you say, you'd gone from that sort of theatre world, if you like, and being trying to become a better human being through Stella, and suddenly you're now on set of streamers, uh, you know, you're working with Robert Altman, and not long after that, you're doing Birdie with Alan Parker, you know, what? how did it feel for you to suddenly be, you know, right there in this world, this amazing world that you'd always looked at and through the silver screen to suddenly you're, you're starring in them? Um, it's weird. I got to tell you. You're, you, you know, I think the, the, the weirdest experience I ever had, I hosted Saturday Night Live, and I don't know if they, they broadcast Saturday Night Live in the UK, but imagine, uh, you know, one of the chat shows, like, like uh, Graham, Graham Norton, right? Yes. Let's say you were a, a young boy or young girl, and you've watched hundreds of episodes of Graham Norton, and you've seen those celebrities uh, come from backstage and walk out and sit on Graham's couch. So now suddenly you're the person who's walking through that curtain and going out and sitting on the couch. It's an absolutely surreal and bizarre. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to put it into words. It's just weird when you walk into something that you've fantasized about or dreamed about or hope that you'd have the opportunity to do. It's a really, it, it, there's a great line in, in uh, Albert Brooks, uh, John, uh, William Hurt, William Hurt, William Hurt or Hurt? William Hurt, William Hurt, yeah. Uh, Broadcast News? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, yep. movie's, the movie's called Broadcast News and William Hurt says to Albert Brooks, what do you do when reality exceeds your dreams? And Albert Brooks looks at him and says, you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. That's true. And I suppose that's been your career 
since then? I mean, what have you learned? Just it'd be really interesting to know what you learned from those directors. And obviously, you've worked with so many amazing directors. But in terms of an overall picture, is so obviously each director wants you potentially to bring something different. You know, um, especially Kubrick, I imagine that was ridiculously different to potentially Nolan. You know, what what have you learned in terms of approaching a new director as an actor? One thing I will say that all of those directors have in common, and I've I've also heard it from directors that I I haven't had the pleasure of working with, like Steven Spielberg or, uh, you know, etc. Uh, that the most important thing is casting you know, casting the the right actors. And, and I would extend that again, back to the beginning of our conversation, casting the right crew, that it's very important that you, you know, as a, as a film director, you, you have a vision of what the film is. And now you're going to hire these other artists who may share some of the aspects of your vision, but they're also artists. So, you're, the reason that you're hiring those people in those departments is to bring their artistry and to imagine things that, or, or to present ideas that you maybe hadn't thought of. You know, maybe the art director is going to come in and say, I, I, I'd really like the walls to be pink. And I'd like to speak to the costume department and make the costumes green against that pink because of what it's going to say. There was really wonderfully, I mean, it was so stunningly uh, art directed. The movie with Joaquin Phoenix, where he's in love with his uh, Siri kind of character on his phone. Was it called me or us uh, or the, uh, her? Her. Her. It's called yeah. her. Yes. <laughs> I mean, go back and look at that film the art direction, the costumes, the hair, every department working together in sync to create such a stunningly beautiful film. So, Anyway, to go back to what you learn from those directors, as I say, they, they all say that the most important thing is casting, finding the, the right person to interpret that, that role. Um, but one of the things that Stella Adler said to me when I was studying with her was that if you wait for a director to tell you what to do, you've lost. That your job, a director is kind of like a conductor, right? The, the conductor stands in front of all those musicians and uh, is directing them like a film director. But the, the responsibility of everybody in every department is to go and learn your part. So if you're playing the violin, it's not the, the conductor or the director's job to tell you how to practice and learn those notes and interpret the music. You know, that's why they picked you to be the lead violinist or the lead cellist or the, the percussionist. It's your job to learn and interpret the music, you know, how hard you're going to hit that drum. And then the conductor, he stands in front of the, cr the crew or the director stands in front and he goes a little bit, a little bit softer, a little bit harder, a little bit faster, a little bit slower, you know, stop now, calm down, you know, and, and you know, but it's your job, it's your responsibility to do all of the homework so that when you can come in, you can take those subtle directions. So one of the favorite directions I ever received from Stanley Kubrick was act scared. Now, you might laugh at that and say, well, that's like, come on, act scared. But it's so specific. It's so simple that 
of course, I'm going to act a, a different scared than Arliss Howard, who played Cowboy, or Adam Baldwin, who played Animal Mother, or Vincent D'Onofrio, who played Gomer Pyle. Everybody has their own lens of life of how they're going to act scared, and each of them are going to be a little bit different. And so it doesn't, it doesn't require a great conversation if you've done your homework and you've come in and you're prepared to play the role in a, a direction like act scared is actually really specific and, and perfect. I, I don't want the director to sit down and start talking to me about the psychological background of the character. And that's my responsibility as, as a, a person who's portraying that role. So as I say, going back, it was a long explanation for a simple, simple statement is that if you, if you wait for a director to tell you what to do, you're lost. You, you have to come in and then take those kind of subtle directions from the, from the director. So talking about directors, um, you've directed yourself and you've produced, and as we mentioned before, you've done you know, everything, all the disciplines across, across the whole board. Uh, what is your favorite if you have one? I bet you just love it all. Uh, by the way you speak about filmmaking, it's, it sounds like you're totally absorbed and you love every process of it, similar to Giles and I actually. But do you have a favorite department that you've, you've dipped your, your foot in several times? Craft service. <laughs> dip your mouth in those it's yeah. different <laughs> acting acting is the best job in the world you know uh, directing is is amazing because you get to take all of the things that you've learned over the course of your career and and share that i i, I teach classes uh and and it's it's i don't charge any money i just because i i think it's really important to share the the, the things that you've learned over the course of your career and and help young performers to be able to avoid uh, you know the potholes in the road you know the things things to avoid and um you know because it's uh it's it's a tricky and it can be a very mean profession you know and um so you want to be able to share the things you've learned and and i think you have a responsibility as an artist to share share things and help nurture people as well isn't it yeah yeah but but being a, a director you know in directing the way that i mentioned to you of you know as a conductor it's it's wonderful to to uh to to have the helm and and be able to tell a story it's it's very rewarding no, totally. I totally agree with you about giving back. That's why we do this. It's about giving back to those who, you know, when I started out, I didn't have anything like this, you know, and I'd have loved it. So hopefully people do love it as much as I would have. Um, I, I think that's really interesting about the directing. I mean, I know you've got a couple of um, projects that are in pre-production or whatever that you might be directing. Is that something you're looking at to do next? Is that something that you want to do again? Yes, the, the COVID is, is messed up my whole schedule. I was supposed to do a Broadway show uh, last, last autumn and, it, you know, obviously got shut down and this show that I'm doing now, I, I don't know, you know, if we, if we get hit by COVID, we could get shut down for a week, you know? So you, at this, at this stage, you just kind of got to do everything day by day. I think it'd be really interesting to talk about Stranger Things a little bit because it blew up so big. How was it for you to be asked to come on a show like that? Uh, especially for me, I was like, oh, oh, that's amazing. Matthew Modine's in this. This is really cool. What was it like for you then to come on a show that was fresh, that was new, full of kids and exciting and, and blew up as big as it did? Well, I didn't want to do it, you know, and I 
I think I turned it down two, at least two times, maybe three times. And then I, wow. finally, I finally spoke to Matt and Ross Duffer. Uh, I was yeah. in, I was in the UK. I was in London uh, doing, right. doing a show, uh, a movie and they, they came on they were so complimentary and because they didn't have the script. So I didn't know what I was saying yes to. It was, it was just that I think that the character didn't get introduced until like the final couple pages of the script. And, and I, I've done a show before where they didn't have the script and I, I, I got my fingers burned, you know, I got uh, that it, it, what was promised was not delivered. So I didn't, I didn't want to find myself in a situation where a lot was being promised and, and less was being delivered. But then when I spoke to them on the phone and they were so smart and, and kind and generous, I said, yes. And I'm really grateful that I did. I, I, I really love those two boys and, and I call them boys. They're young men. They're not even young men. They're men. Um, but uh, they, they were young boys. I feel like young men when, when I went to work with them and uh, I'm just so happy for them and the success of the show. Cause the thing is Netflix is in, I, I believe it's 162 territories um, th so there's only two left. I think it's North Korea and China. Um, <laughs> One day, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So if you take whatever film of mine, the, the most successful film that I've, I've ever had, it may have played theatrically in 60 territories. So when you have a successful show on a, on a streaming service like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon, all the different platforms that exist now to have the potential to be in 162 territories, you have access to parts of the world that you never had access to before. And when, when, when stranger things came out, I was doing a film in Italy and little kids were coming up to me and saying, Papa. And, and wow. my, uh, my children <laughs> call me Papa. So I thought, that's really weird. Why, why are little kids that I don't know <laughs> calling me Papa? And then, yeah. they fi then finally one of them said, Dr. Brenner. And I went, oh, wow, I, I guess Stranger Things is out on television. Because I, I was in Italy and, and I didn't have access to Netflix. So I, didn't, I, I wasn't aware of this global phenomenon and the breakout success that, that, uh, the show was. So, um, you know, I'm in a business where you always have to remain part of the conversation and be relevant and Los Angeles, the, the it's called show business, right? And it's a business and they don't give a shit about the things that you've done in the past, you know, your career, your resume, your CV, what they want to know, what are you doing today? What, what have you got in the pipeline? What's coming up? Uh, they don't care about your career. Uh, that, that's different than in the UK where you can celebrate someone over the course of their career in Italy and France and other parts of the world, Japan, people, people, you, you do something well once you're celebrated, you do it two or three times. And, and, you know, it's, it's a different kind of appreciation than, than you receive in the United States. People, it's like, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. What, <laughs> what's next?
This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's really interesting, uh, the comparison with, with, with the way different countries deal with um, the successes of an actor or, or somebody, whatever field, actually. It's really interesting to hear that. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit, just I know we're on a, a time limit, so I know that we, we wanted to talk about Wrong Turn, which is out on the 26th of February. Where did you shoot the movie? It look, I mean, it looks fantastic. It was a great movie. We both really enjoyed it, Giles and I. At, where did you shoot it? In Ohio, uh, just just outside of Cincinnati, uh, out in the it's it, it remarkably untouched. You know the the wilderness up there, and uh, it, you don't have to leave the city to to you know more than half an hour and to run into that kind of emptiness and and wildness. Uh, it was. Uh, this late summer and it was beautiful. The, the weather was really wonderful. I didn't know the wrong turn, you know, I, I'd heard of it, but when I told my son and my daughter that, that, that I'd received this offer to play this role, they both, you know, they love horror genre films. And while this one's not really horror, it's more thriller because it, there's not, you know, there's not supernatural aspects to it. There's no zombies. And well, I don't want to let too much out of the bag. Less less gore, I suppose, right? I mean, it's much more psychological, thrilling than than the horror elements. But, but yeah, my, my kids were super happy. They were like, you got to do it, man. It's so much fun. It's so much fun, those movies. So I, that's, I, I did one in the UK up in the, in the Moors with, yes. Olivia, with Olivia Williams. You did, yeah. Yeah, there's a pretty much all British cast. I was like, wow, he's done that. That's really incredible. Yeah, that must have been fun as well. It was. It was, uh, man, the moors are cold. Yep, I yep. know. It's really cold here right now. <laughs> but it's a, it's a different kind of cold, isn't it? It's a cold that gets in your, when you get in the tub, it makes the water cold so fast. It's like as if you didn't, you weren't sitting in a hot tub. You're like an ice cube in a tub. Yeah, very true. It's amazing. Just as the, as the success of Stranger Things, has that made it easier for you to do films like Wrong Turn? Like you said there, suddenly you're relevant again as things like that suddenly popping up much more often for you. It, it makes it easier. It, it, yeah, mm. success breeds success, you know. So it, um, it's something Robert Altman said to me because he always like, hey, kid, you're going to be a big star. He used to call me Coop like because of Gary Cooper. He said I reminded him of Gary Cooper. So he's, you're going to be a big star. I said, don't say that. And it was Stella Adler. I blame her for, for beating that out because she, she had a real loathing of Hollywood and the star system. 
And so I, I was always like, don't call me. I don't, I don't want to be a star. I just want to be an actor. I want to be a good actor. I don't, I don't care about the celebrity. And Robert Altman finally one day said, what is it with you and this star thing? And I told him about Stella Adler. And he said, oh, she's full of shit. He goes, <laughs> he goes, listen, kid, I need you to be a big star because that's how I get my films financed. And it's true that, that as big as a, a star director that Robert Altman was or Alan Pakula or Alan Parker, even Stanley Kubrick, that they, 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 they wanted people that had uh, st st yeah, you know, a star caliber because that's how it helps them to get the financing and an ability to make their films. It's, uh, it's as I get said, show business. It's show business, me and Lucinda know this well. You know, this is something we're talking about coming up against all the time. And interestingly, Wrong Turn is distributed by Signature. And me and Lucinda have, a lot of our films have been distributed by Signature as well. And it's really interesting when we're talking about names uh, and that whole world of getting the right name in. And that must be interesting for you, uh, I suppose, sort of being, am I a name? Am I and what kind of world am I in right now? Depending on what films just come out. Does that, does that bother you at all? Does that affect how you go about what you're trying to achieve? It's, it's a, you know, it's in the back of your mind that you, you want to be in things that, that are successful, but this is the, the, here's the rub. I've never gone to work on a, on a film where everybody isn't, doesn't come into the job with great enthusiasm and a desire to make a great movie. Um, all directors are given the same equipment. You have cameras and lenses and sound men and lighting and all the different art, art departments. Uh, and some people are able to create magic with those tools and some people don't you know that it's the same lens it's the same camera and some people make something beautiful and amazing and other people don't it's kind of like you know baking you know it, you have flour and yeast and and you know sh sugar and salt and whatever elements that you're putting into the bread and some people make it light and fluffy and beautiful. And some people make something that's just unedible. And I, I have yet to figure out what that magic is. I, I don't know what it is. And, but I do know that everybody does the best they can to, to try to create something beautiful and amazing and fun for, the, fun for an audience. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Um, you mentioned uh, a second ago about Nelly turning down Stranger Things, but you also turned down Top Gun, um, uh, <laughs> which is, you, you know, I, I suppose you don't mind talking about because uh, I think it's, it's really interesting about your world and what you stood for as well. But uh, is there any other roles that you've turned down and maybe just touch on the Top Gun story there a bit that you've gone, oh, maybe I should have done that in the long run? Well, that's about American education, you know, that I, as I mentioned, we'd grown up west of the Mississippi. And uh, I was never told about Russia's, Russia's participation in the Second World War, that how many millions of Russians had died fighting the Nazis. And had uh, Hitler not made the mistake that Napoleon made of going into, into that part of the world in the wintertime, uh, that the outcome of the war would have no question been quite different. It, it, or, or how long it would have gone on had had Germany not made that mistake. Um, so, you know, what I got 
taught in school was typical American propaganda, that, that we were responsible for the victory of the war. We saved England, we saved Italy, we saved France. You know, like, like those countries didn't have any, really anything to do with their own salvation. Um, maybe the British, you know, maybe the British, uh, you know, they, because of the, the British movies that we saw, that, that they got some credit for, for, you know, kicking Jerry's butt, you know, as you guys would say. Um, but so I, I got invited to go to the Berlin Film Festival and they asked if I'd like to go to East Berlin. I said, I can't go to East Berlin. I'm American. That's a communist country. And they said, no, you can go to East Berlin because you are an American. I was like, what? Really? And so I went across Checkpoint Charlie there in East Berlin or in West Berlin and entered into it was like the Wizard of Oz of going from black and white to color. But I was in colorful Berlin and went into black and white East Berlin and felt like the streets were still littered with debris from bombing and buildings were burned out. And there, there was absolutely no reconstruction that had happened when I was there. And then I met these uh, Russian soldiers at a monument for, uh, for the millions of Russians who had died fighting the Nazis. There was a big monument. And they spoke English. I didn't speak any Russian, but yet they were able to speak English to me. I smoked cigarettes then. I gave them some American cigarettes and they gave me pins from their Russian uniforms. And I realized that those guys were no different than my brother who participated in the Vietnam War. They were just kids. They, 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 they weren't evil. I, if, if I touched their head you know, and felt, felt around their hair, I wouldn't have found horns. And, and I was led to believe that, having grown up in Utah and California, that they were just evil, horrible people. And they were, weren't. So when I came back from East Berlin and that script was waiting for me and, you know, it was a propaganda movie. It was made during the Ronald Reagan presidency, uh, you know, and the, you know, all of the, the Cold War antics of the, what was going on in the world you know the, the the geopolitics and not the human beings and i had met the human beings and i, f I felt sort of like um, muhammad ali when when he, he went to prison for what he believed when he said that I, I i don't have any fight with the vietnamese the vietnamese haven't done anything to me to harm me but look what the united states has done to every african-american since they started bringing africans from from Africa, you know, and enslaving them. That the, the fight that Muhammad Ali had with his own country, not with the, the Vietnamese. The Vietnamese hadn't done anything to harm him. And that's how you felt, I suppose, with the, with the Top Gun issue. You were like, well, I'm not doing it for that reason. That's, that's your stance on it. Yeah, it just felt like a propaganda, like a, a war propaganda movie. And, you know, Tom Cruise has talked about it and said that it was a film about individualism and personal strength and overcoming adversity and i think for tom that's probably you know that's that's the case not probably that that he said it that's what it is and but i'm a different person you know and and it was like trying to squeeze me i wear a size 13 and i couldn't couldn't fit my foot into a size 10 shoe and and i couldn't i couldn't 
participate in a, a lie. Amazing. I, I, let's say you've probably turned down lots of other bits and pieces. We could talk to you forever. And I know um, uh, Marek's going to come and pull you uh, off to go to your next uh, interview in a second. But just finally, I suppose, on Wrong Turn, which we should give it some context for our listeners. It is the story of friends who are hiking in the Appalachian Trail, who are confronted by the Foundation, who are a community of people who have lived in the mountains for hundreds of years. And shit goes down. You know what we wouldn't have found if we would have stayed on the trail? What is that? So, Matthew, making Wrong Turn, what was it like to dive in? Because now you're working with a new director, new actors, new people. What bit of advice can you give people for going in to something like that, especially on Wrong Turn? To be prepared, you know, that... that uh you know, you, you, like I said, if you're playing the violin and this is the song, you got to learn your part. You have to know it backward and forward. And so that, you know, I, I, I did, as you say, I didn't know that director. I had never met him. I never met any of those actors. I, they were new as I was one time. And so you want to help them, you know, when, when possible. Uh, but Charlotte Vega, she showed up. You know, she she came loaded for bear. She was ready to play. And, uh, you know, so we all got along really well because everybody was really prepared and doing the best they can to to make a good movie. And it wasn't it wasn't a hard role for me because I'm a father. I have a daughter and I have a son. And and if anything, God forbid, should happen to them or they go missing uh you're going to do everything in your power to to find them and and help them in whatever situation it is that they're in uh matthew Maldine, thank you so much this has been incredible honestly thank you for your time uh you're an amazing man i am going to go uh, travel around the 50 states and look through every hair and makeup <laughs> truck until i find you there you go <laughs> all right brilliant good luck with the new shoe i uh, hope it all goes well wrong turn is out now well it's out on the 26th of february or out now depending on timing of this uh so thank you matthew appreciate your time thank you thank you have a lovely evening Thanks, buddy. Bye, bye. So Wrong Turn is out now. Do go watch it. It's really cool. If you like those Wrong Turn movies, you're going to love this. It's a brilliant reboot. Cast are amazing. Matthew, you're amazing. Uh, Really, really cool. Uh, Lucinda, where can people follow you? People can follow me on Twitter at Lucinda Bakra. Wow. Yep, I it don't is. know. There is. No, no, no. You listen to Rhodes and then you can write Lucinda Rhodes Tacker and it will come up. It, it, I'll pronounce your name correctly for you if you like. <laughs> there it is. And then your, your production company, which is where you do put a lot of postings about when you're looking for an editor or a sound designer or actors. Uh, it is at? At Pick Perf Limited. P-I-C-P-E-R-F Limited. 
Uh, you can follow me at Giles Alderson. You can follow the podcast at Filmmakers Pod. We are on Instagram, The Filmmakers Podcast. Or you can go to the website, www.thefilmmakerspodcast.com, where we have a whole back catalogue of over 200 episodes on making film. And if there's something specific to act, then type in acting. And all those actors, if it's directing, all those directors will come up. So do go do that on our website, filmmakerspodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. You're all amazing. If you like this, do tell your pals. That's how we grow. And if you really like this, uh, go to iTunes and give us a five-star review. Whoop, whoop. Give us a five-star <laughs> review. Bobby D, baby. Uh, amazing. I really enjoyed chatting to Matthew. That was amazing. Thank you for listening. Take care. Go out there and make your indie film. You can make it happen. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, as Matthew said, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. Oh, back, back down. down. Send it back Give down. Give it a boo Send it back down. <laughs> Take care, everyone. See you next Tuesday. Bye. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter. Official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you. What is the perfect package? Well, it could be anything. This week, we'll be creating the perfect strip mall, the perfect school lunch, wedding guest list, the perfect fast food meal. We will be casting the perfect season of Big Brother using only Muppets. Two hosts, five pigs, one perfect package. Each episode is full of friendly debates. Off, dude. Nobody wants that you're not Mozart. And very strong opinions. You know I have no opinions. I just like things. The Perfect Package Podcast, part of the Podfix Network. Visit p3show.com for more details.